Hi, this is Jerry Conway. Tom DeFalco. Ron Friends. Paul Jenkins. J.M. DeMatteis. Rob Rodriguez. Jim Salak. Danny Fingeroff. And you're listening to Amazing Spider Talk. Too many who know the angles, uncover and untangle all the questions and the webs left out to tangle. In Welcome to the Amazing Spider Talk. My name is Dan Gavazdan, and I'm the editor of SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. And I'm Marcinacchio, the editor of the Chasing Amazing blog. How amazing is it? It's so amazing. All right, well, for this episode, we'll be discussing our potential essential Spider-Man comic of the week. Uh, we'll be discussing Amazing Spider-Man number 50 through 52 by Stan Lee and John Romita Sr., reading your comments and emails, and getting through our first ever Flash Thompson's Flash Reviews. Woo, I'm excited, Mark. Yeah, I don't even know what that is. (laughs) (laughs) Well, of course, if you hear this sound, please check out your iOS device for a link to an article, video, or image to enhance your listening experience. we got a lot to talk about tonight, Mark. Let's talk about Amazing Spider-Man 50 to 52. Dan, well, this is the the first installment of this this long talked about series between you and I. Um, and just to to give our listeners here a little bit of background about what we're about to do here, um, Dan and I have each uh, gone through um, some some favorite comics, not necessarily uh, the most famous Spider-Man comics, but comics that we feel paint an essential picture of the of the character. Um, and to kind of mix it up a little bit. Um, We've decided that we wanted to take five obvious choices off the table because what we're trying to what we're trying to actually achieve here is we want to get input from you, our listeners, in terms of what are the most essential Spider-Man stories. Uh, so off the table are Amazing Fantasy fifteen, uh, Amazing Spider-Man number thirty to thirty-one, the Master Planner saga. You mean thirty-one uh, to thirty-three? Did I say okay? I'm sorry, I meant that thirty-one to thirty-three, the Master Planner saga saga. Um, Amazing Spider-Man number 121 to 122, which is Gwen Stacy's death and Green Goblin's death, uh, Craven's Last Hunt, and then the, the Coming Home arc, which in addition to being a great essential story, we just talked about it. So I don't know if you need to hear us talk about it again, right, Dan? Yeah, yeah, uh, heaven forbid. <laughs> um, so those are off the table. And what remains is, it, or, you know, Dan and I are going to present 10 from each of us. And then upon the conclusion of the series, which will be about, you know, a good 20-something episodes out, um, you're going to, on each of our respective websites, vote on your 10, the 10 that you believe are essential, and we will tabulate those votes and come up with a definitive list. Yeah, I'm really excited about it, Mark. I mean, people yeah, I always so. ask us, 
what are the Spider-Man comics I should read if I'm new to Spider-Man or want to get more of a history of Spider-Man. And I, hopefully we'll be able to come up with a list that uh, expresses that. Yeah, definitely. Um, so uh, this this first um, arc that we're going to talk about, this was actually one of my suggestions, Dan. Absolutely. Uh, I think I would have suggested it if you hadn't. Yeah, I mean, you know, this doesn't really go into the into deep cut territory like some of our other choices might end up doing, but um, you know, figured figured especially with the the recent uh, focus on the street level and the and the criminal underworld uh, through Jerry Conway's spiral, I thought a good underworld story would be a, a good place to start. Um, just to, just to give you um, some reasons why I think this is an essential comic. Um, well, first of all, I mean. Spider number fifty, um, you know that's the the famous Spider cover from John Romita Sr. I mean the cover alone makes it iconic. Um, I know that this tells the story of, her, um, but you know if 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 you've seen that cover, you've probably also seen it in about nine million other places. It gets homaged regularly. Still, it's going to be homaged in Amazing Spider-Man number eighteen, I believe, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so anyway, um, but. It's not the first Spider-Man quits or Peter quits being Spider-Man story, but it's probably the most famous. Um, you know, and Lee did it a few times uh, during their run, um, but but you know this was to me this was really the first time where like they they built an entire issue around this idea, and you know Peter the Everyman uh, hero, um, you know it's kind of a key part of his character the fact that, you know, there are just moments where he just wants to throw in the towel and be a normal person. Um, but you know, power and responsibility, uh, prevents him from doing so. Um, these stories are also marks the uh, first appearance of Wilson Fisk, AKA the Kingpin. Um, now Kingpin, you know, he's obviously, uh, in, in our consciousness a lot lately for those who are, who have been watching daredevil, um, before he was, uh, Matt Murdock's nemesis though, he, he was introduced in Spider-Man and, you know, he was actually kind of like one of Spider-Man's chief silver age foes, I would say. I mean, I'd rank him, um, in terms of sixties villains right behind Doc Ock and Green Goblin in terms of the big ones. He, 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 once he was introduced here, he came up a lot. Um, you know, it was kind of the first time that Marvel decided to make like the guy, uh, for the criminal underworld, I mean, they kind of did that a little bit with the Crime Master, but you know, he got off so quickly that it just never stuck. Um, you know, and, and having the Kingpin kind of keeps this book on its street level focus, um, which I have always felt is when Spider-Man is at its best. Um, other essential elements of this book, um, you know, because of Peter's quitting as Spider-Man. Uh, this really, I think, it kind of starts tying together a lot of the um, teen romance that Ramita started to introduce in there. Um, you know, I just felt like that was really very pronounced um, all the way through and was like kind of a driving plot point um, after kind of teasing it for, for a number of issues. Um and, you know, it's also obvious from, from this that it, the, the coupling is going to be Peter and Gwen. I think that seems to be established from the storyline. Uh, MJ is kind of more of the party girl at this point, and they kind of, you know, they kind of roll with that. Um, and this just the lastly, um, you know, there's, a, there's a, and specifically Amazing Spider-Man 52, 
Uh, the the main plot revolves around Peter and and J. Jonah Jameson kind of being tied together, and and, and Spider Man having I shouldn't say Peter, Spider Man and Jameson being tied together, and Spidey having to save him. And I think I think this might be the very first time Spidey saved Jonah. Can can am I am I off on that, Dan? I think you might be right. Um, and you know that's just in terms of Spider Man's. You know, responsibilities and core characteristics. I mean, first of all, it's a great bookend to, you know, the beginning of the arc where he quits being Spider-Man. Um, but um, in terms of how it resolves, I mean, I, I to me, this is kind of a good demonstration of, of how responsibility applies to everyone, even though, even if there are big putts like Jonah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so Dan, with that out of the way, you know, do you, you want to talk, you know, give some thoughts about these issues or, you know, feel, feel free to jump in here. Yeah. Well, you know, Mark, I'm right there with you on this. I, you know, it'd be one of my first, you know, one of the first issues I thought of when it comes to labeling something essential, almost to the point that we might have just excluded this one because it seems like such an obvious choice. I mean, I'm looking over my computer that I'm recording on right now and I have my, Stanley and John Romita signed copy of this hanging on my wall. Um, uh, well, a high-res scan of it because it's stored safely away in a safe somewhere that you'll never find. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, when it came down to it and I went to meet Stanley and eventually John Romita Sr., you know, this is the issue that I wanted them to sign because I just love this issue and I love this cover. I mean, on the cover alone, it could get, I think, into our essentials list. Um, yeah. But, yeah, this issue, you know, first of all, I think it's probably the first uh, John Romita and Stan Lee comic that I ever read. Um, so, you know, I, I read it and there was a collection of the best of Spider-Man that uh, I think was like number three uh, that I picked up, you know, right when I was starting to collect Spider-Man comics and – this was the second issue included in it after – or the third issue included in it after Amazing Spider-Man 33 and Amazing Fantasy 15. So this is the first time I was introduced to uh, Ramita's uh, art. And there is no overlooking how wonderful his art in this book is. Um, it's just every panel is so iconic. I mean not to mention the iconic panel – of uh, Peter throwing his costume in the garbage, um, yeah. which is almost as iconic as the cover. You know, like how often yeah. do you get that? Yeah. And uh, for those for those playing the home game, you know, if you if you haven't figured put two and two together, Raimi's Spider Man Two borrows heavily from this art. Yeah, I mean, it's like oftentimes I wonder if it's word for word. Yeah, I mean, there there are definitely some pieces. I mean, you know, we you and I have talked about that one scene. Where, like, you know, someone's getting beat up, and Peter, you know, Toby McGuire kind of walks away from it, and that that was not in this comic. No, um, that's the weakest scene in that movie, and the um, one foul note I think that movie hits. Yeah, but um, yeah, I mean, this the story is so famous that you know, like, it it, it you know basically was the source material for the for probably the best Spider-Man movie ever made. 
Um, so that's a good thing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this book has got it all. It's classic Peter Parker, right? It's like the Peter Parker I love to read. His aunt is sick. His grades are down. Jameson puts out money for his capture, and he gets invited to a party by Gwen and has to turn her down. You know, like it's everything that gets dumped on this character over and over again. You know, but like, yeah, but it's different in that, like, you know, I I, I think, you know, and and I know like. Some Spider-Man purists would vehemently disagree with me, but I, I prefer I prefer this Peter to Dicko Peter, um, not just visually, but just also thematically, because you know I feel like I feel like as a person who you know is now I'm now in my 30s, I've I've, I've lived through my you know the tough high school years and and my college years, and 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 can I, I really identify with this character um, because you know it's just. It's like I feel like in a lot of ways, like Peter at this point in his life in this story, like he he's finally become like unshackled from being an outcast. It's like he he he's getting to start that life new, you know. Like he's around new people, you know. Flash Thompson is still around, and yeah, you know, they Flash is going to the military, so let's throw a party for him. But like he's not he's not Flash Thompson, big man on campus anymore. You know what I mean? It's just like it, everyone is just seems like it's equal. Peter is using that as an opportunity to try and have some kind of normal existence and being Spider-Man just keeps getting in the way. And it's like, you know, he, he's, he's finally, he's finally presented with a real opportunity to find happiness uh, socially. And he can't because of Spider-Man. Right. And Peter Parker is not the problem anymore. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think that is, that is what makes this, I quit being Spider-Man story. So, so different. You know, because like I, there's a part of me that, you know, you want him to be Spider-Man and do the responsible thing, but like you really understand this time because you're just kind of like, yeah, man, like you should just go and hang out with Gwen and and Harry and MJ and have fun and 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 be normal because you deserve that, you know, because your your life has been hard to this point, um, but obviously you can't. Um, it's it's hard to talk about this book, you know. And have you and I talking about this without including like Stan Lee on this conversation because his writing is all over this thing. I mean like Ramita's like images are so like – you know we talked with Ron Friends about this but using uh, iconography or iconography. Gosh, why did I say that so weird? Um, (laughs) uh, You know to kind of convey a message very quickly and, and, and clearly like a lot of this reads like like a montage in many ways. Like there's just quick little scenes. There might be one panel, but uh, the 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 artwork is so varied and so specific um, that it's you know you can it'll just like Amazing Fantasy 15 where you tell his whole origin story in 11 pages. Um, but what really supports this is Stanley's humorous dialogue. Yeah, this is this is you know. Some people might say this is like a little over melodramatic and overwritten, but like to me, this is probably Stan's strongest issue as a writer. Yeah, it's. I mean, it, it's it's powerful, but it's also hilarious uh, throughout. Yeah, uh, and, and every little character gets like an interesting moment. Like there's the the reporters who are talking about Spider-Man leaving, you know, uh, uh, the game, you know, and uh, and they all kind of get these funny little quips in. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my favorite moment that made me laugh out loud when I was reading it recently is uh, for this 
is the kid that brings in the Spider-Man costume to Jonah, and Jonah's like, here's your reward, a free bugle. And yeah. the kid's like, that's a reward? What about Jonah's face when he has the costume? Oh, it's so great. Like, I mean, I know we're talking about Stan's writing here, but, like, I mean, that panel from Ramita is just, like, so much expression in just one little box, right? Yeah, I mean, these three like, issues like that are... That satisfaction of, on his face is just priceless. <laughs> these three issues are, like, the way I love Jonah. Um, because you get the sense, especially when he gets kidnapped later on in the story, uh, you know, he stands up for, you know, being a crusader. Like, he's gonna, you know, he'll stick by his hatred of Spider-Man, but he isn't, like, a totally bad newsman. Uh, no, and, and, and I feel like other creators have kind of worked with that because of, I think, stories like this, you know, like, he, he doesn't compromise who he is. I mean, that's Jonah. You know, like he's he's uncompromising, you know, like and yeah, it leads to pigheadishness, like his attacks on Spider-Man. But I think I think to be a true and, you know, speaking as someone who was a newsman, I don't think you can compromise. Yeah, you know? I, absolutely. I love, um, I love Jonah, like in these books by Stan Lee, like because Joni, <laughs> jo- Joni, what am I talking about? Jonah, I'm, I'm getting all like Jonah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, no, but Jonah is the first person that will tell you how nice he is over and over again. He's like, yeah, I'm a nice guy. Like, you know, the first rule of being a nice or cool person is to not assert how nice and cool you are. Oh, definitely. Yeah. <laughs> Agreed. Um, now, of course, the, you know the other big famous part about this comic is is like the the end sequence. Uh, but for the record, when I say this comic right now, I'm still talking about fifty, um, which is you know Peter kind of walking by a rooftop where you know a kindly old it's a security guard, right? Yeah, is getting hassled by some thugs. Here's another question I've always had: Am I to assume that these thugs are with Kingpin? That was my assumption always. I, that's always kind of felt like because I feel, you know, and and then you know when Ultimate does it with Learning Curve years later, I always you know like it was kind of like how like Kingpin kind of like his emergence in the underworld kind of shaped Peter into being a, even a more responsible Spider-Man. So I always kind of felt like even if the text doesn't say it point blank. My reading has always been that these thugs hassling the security guard were per Kingpin, and that's you know why it, his appearance was even more important in this story because it kind of like brings Spider-Man back to the forefront. Um, well, speaking of Kingpin, like one of the things I like about this issue that I think you don't get with a lot of, of villains in comics or even in Spider-Man comics is that you feel the the presence of this character throughout the city and its effects on the city. There's a lot of sequences of his goons like really wreaking havoc on New York. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, uh, you know, Peter is indifferent to the chaos, which is a little disturbing and unsettling. Um, but, you know, what kind of brings him back into it is with this old man um, on the rooftop looks, you know, reminds him of Uncle Ben, which, you know, maybe that's a little hokey, a little convenient, but quite frankly, works perfectly for me because, you know, Uncle Ben is, you know, Uncle Ben's death is the seminal moment in the life of Spider-Man. I know that Mark Webb's Amazing Spider-Man completely glosses over that, but, you know, we don't. 
At least I don't. <laughs> Whoa, what do, what do you uh, what do you imply? No, I just mean you you and I don't, Dan, right? Ah, all right. Uh, you know, that's why we end with our Uncle Ben moment at the end of every show. Um, yeah, and I mean, like, it, it's just it's just a way to bring bring it all back home. I mean, this is essential, you know, to to, to not the not essential for our series, but this is essential to Peter, and and I I think having that reminder is 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 a good little piece of, of, of writing from Stan there. Uh, and after that, we get this wonderful scene where Peter sneaks back into Jonah's office to steal back his costume. And I've always loved this scene where he kicks his feet up on Jonah's desk and flips Jonah's tie just to <laughs> kind of mock it. And this to me is like the perfect Spider-Man humor. You know, it's not like that he's a motor mouth or anything like that. He's just like overly nice and kind of flippant to his villains. Uh, and yeah. his attitude towards Jonah here is, is just hysterical. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it's borderline cocky, but not exactly. There's a fine line. It's like, hey, we're best buddies, and I'm going to treat you like that even though you hate me. Like yeah. knowing that that will just get under your skin to no yeah. end. Yeah. yeah. Hilarious. The, no, it's, it's, it's another wonderful moment. And then, of course, there's, I'm back. Don't right? you wish that was a full page spread? Yeah. I'd give it two pages. <laughs> yeah. Vertical spread. Um, of course, my eye back is Tobey Maguire. Just, just that's my imitation. <laughs> um, um, one thing I will say about this comic, and um, I wrote that piece a while back for the Village Voice about the things the movies have never gotten right about Spider-Man, yeah. and uh, I put in there that, like, you know, there's, you know, they have never done the love triangle. Like Spider-Man is Archie, but with webs. Yeah. And I got a lot of negative feedback to that. People saying that I invented – it's like a fan invention that there was a love triangle and that there was never like anything going on between the three of them. And I want to say read this issue and then argue that point to me um, because there's clearly a love triangle in not only this issue but the following two issues. Definitely. MJ and Gwen are teasing each other constantly. Peter's trying to decide who he likes better. There's definitely a love triangle going on here. Yeah. And that's reinforced by the letters column in this issue, which I love going back and reading the letters columns. Um, and like every other email is about MJ or Gwen, like who he should end up with. Um, I don't think fans are creating that on their own. Um, <laughs> I also thought it was funny. There's a letter in issue 50 that knocks John Romita's art as having like less mystery than uh, Dicko's, and kind of calls Stan Lee out for um, only printing pro- only printing positive letters and for not mentioning Dicko after he left the book. And uh, Stan kind of avoids addressing that fact in his response. He's like, "Oh, uh, you know, when people leave the book, we don't really like to bring them up again because we don't want to speak for them." And it's like, "All right, Stan." Like nice, well, nice try. Yes. Oh, yeah. Dicko. Um. So let's let's move into fifty one. Um. Yeah. You know, we, uh, just so I mean, we obviously see more of the Kingpin here. Is um, what always kind of struck me though, especially as someone who read a lot of Kingpin stuff, like 
once he kind of transitioned over to Daredevil is, I mean, as, as great of a villain as he is, and, and, you know, some of the core characteristics that would define him are on display here. Um, he's also kind of a corny Bond villain, right? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, like, he's even got a flower that shoots gas out of it. I mean, the laser cane? Who yeah, laser uses cane. a laser cane? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, like who throws a shoe, really? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Who, who, um, whose cane shoots a laser? Right. I mean, you know, I mean, even just, I mean, not to jump ahead, but even the whole plot to kill Spider-Man and Jonah in 52, it's like we're going to lock him in a room and then we're going to fill it with water and then we're going to wait. <laughs> and then we're going to wait an extra 30 seconds to be sure. And then we're going to like let all the water out <laughs> and dispose of the bodies. Cause yeah, right. you know, and I, you know, I, I, I said to myself, why doesn't he just shoot them with the laser cane when they're tied up? <laughs> Sharks with freaking laser beams. That's why. Exactly. I mean, but I will say that, um, you know, Kingpin kind of goes from this goofy character, this kind of sneering mob boss, to a genuine threat in this issue when we discover, like, you know, that he's not just a fat guy in a suit, that he's, like, all muscle. And the way Ramita draws this, like, it makes him pretty terrifying, I will say. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, and, and, and I think it's important because it, it – it... You know, he's not just a figurehead. I mean, this is an active villain, you know, like this is and, and you know, even with all his contraptions, I mean, this is a villain that can hold his own in a book that, you know, it's an action heavy book. It always has been. Um, and, and, you know, like, you know, he's not he's less sumo guy that he kind of becomes under Frank Miller. So, you know, I think that Frank Miller has Japanese influence. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, um, no, I, I agree. I, 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 I like, um, how he's portrayed. Um, I do, I do question Kingpin's audacity though, because how, like, I you feel, mean? you know, the fact that the fact that he brings in Jameson to kill him, it is, it does, it does go from like, we're going to freak him out to let's just get rid of him like pretty rapidly. I mean, you know, I know that that Jameson is a, a thorn in his, but like, you know, like future iterations of Kingpin, he would be more calculating than that. Like, it's it's kind of like, I mean, you know, you you, you see this in in crime shows like The Sopranos or you know The Wire. I know you've never seen The Wire. I don't know. Have you seen Sopranos, Dan? I have not watched either. I've never had HBO in my life. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, That's putting about that to aside. Change. Okay. Well, I mean. Long story short, it's you know these these, these criminal bosses. I mean, it's like you know, as violent and despicable as they are. There's always this element of like, don't go after cops, don't go after public figures. You know what I mean? Like, keep it clean. You know, you don't want to attract attention. Um, you know, like you want to do your dealings because the object is to make money and to have power. It's not to kill. You know, that's it. That's um, that's always what the end game for the character generally is. And Kingpin's kind of been written both ways. Like you know, there's 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 this version and more bigger extreme. I don't know if you've ever read any like the Punisher Max stuff. Like he's in that, and he's just like killing everybody, and you're just kind of like, all right, this is crazy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but um, 
But then there was like kind of like this in between period where you know like you know with during Frank Miller when you know the most famous part where you know like he he sends a message to my favorite human being in the world Ben Urick by you know Ben is trying to chase down a story that's going to screw with King King's political ambitions and he sends out Electra to murder Ben's informant while they're sitting in a movie theater together. So you know he doesn't. He's sending the message to Ben, you know what I mean, without yeah, killing. Right. You know, it's just like like all you know. Ben is like talking to this informant, and then all of a sudden, a sigh like intrudes through his chest via Electra. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, it's like it's there's like I said, there's more calculated and diabolical cunning to him, whereas I feel like kind of like just being like bring him, bring Jameson and our. I mean, that just seems a little extreme to me. Yeah, it's a bit extreme. Although I will say one of the things that uh, I like about all the old Spidey battles is, like, how much they kind of all just devolved into wrestling matches where he's, like, taking on a large number of guys with, like, not very gracefully. Like, I mean, I think a lot of it has to do with how Ramita draws Spider-Man. It's not like a lithe Spider-Man. He's kind of this muscular, like, hunk, you know? And yeah. so, so when he uh, when he like fights him uh, like or his henchmen, it's just really just a lot of limbs getting inter like tangled with each other. And I always thought those were funny and fun to read. You almost expect like a dust cloud to appear and just fists to be coming out of it. Right. Yeah, and Spider Man standing ne- Spider Man standing next to the dust cloud while yeah. they <laughs> Bugs Bunny ish. Yeah. Um, no, I, 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 no doubt. Um, but like I said, these are very action-heavy books with Ramita. I mean, you know, like I, def, I, I, I think because you know we had some bigger spreads and bigger panels. I mean, you know, like it allowed like more group action, and that sounds funny. I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> uh, you, you, I think you found another advertisement that you liked. Okay, well, I will tell you, Mark. My favorite thing – and this is probably not the first time that this has appeared in a Spider-Man comic at this point. Uh-huh. I've yet to determine that. But this is my favorite ad of all of Spider-Man comics. It's this thing called the Darling Pet Monkey, and I'll include a picture of it um, you know, for, for, the, uh, for the listeners at home if you've never seen this. But flipping through my copy of this book, um, it's the Darling Pet Monkey. And like this is what, 1965? Yeah. Or 1966, something like that. And this is what the ad reads. It says, quote-unquote, This squirrel monkey makes an adorable pet and companion, almost human with its warm eyes. Your family will grow to love it. These young monkeys grow about 12 inches high, eats the same food as you, even likes lollipops. (laughs) Simple to care for and train, live delivery guaranteed, only $18.95. And uh, I did the math on that using, uh, you know, a calculator and inflation techniques, and that's about one hundred and thirty-three dollars today. So for one hundred and thirty-three dollars, you could get a squirrel monkey sent to you in the mail. Um, Mark, what do you think about this? I think I wanted a squirrel monkey for one hundred thirty-three dollars. <laughs> I just love the image of it. It's his hand holding this monkey, and. Uh, like the idea that it, you, like people are getting this thing, and the, and the only instructions that they're given are, it eats human food, 
and it likes lollipops. I just want to say for full disclosure, I for the purposes of this review, I was rereading these on the Marvel Unlimited app, so I have access to none of this. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Have you so, have you never seen this before? Um, I'm sure I have because I have opened the original comic when I got it, but probably missed it. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I've I've always thought that this is the best ad in all these books. I I just think they're hilarious. Like the fact that they have to do, like guarantee live delivery, like tells a really sad story on the other end of that. <laughs> There you go. But uh, yeah, so yes, if if you haven't read these, like look up, like find these somehow and look at the ads because they're hysterical and sad and terrible. Anyway. Anyway. You want to talk um, about issue fifty two? Yeah, we could we could touch on a few more things here. Um, I mean, we kind of talk a little bit about the Spider Man Jonas stuff being together. I mean, it's just, it's a great dynamic. I love it. I I just love that. You know, Spider-Man saves him, and he's still a jerk to him. I mean, I think that's kind of a trope that will continue um, for the duration of their careers. So important that we get that in the way. Um, we see we get we get a, a I don't know if you would call it an important death, but a death in this issue. Yeah, Frederick, Frederick Foswell, the, also the original known as big Patch. man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he is Patch. <laughs> <laughs> Patch is such man, a goofy Patch. creation. Yeah, that was was that the Crime Master arc? Yes, it was the Crime Master arc. Oh my God! Yes, Patch. He shows up in issue fifty for a brief uh, a brief second. Uh, for those of you at home who don't know, um, Patch is this mask that F- Frederick Foswell, who formerly the uh, the um, big man, the big man. Uh, he reforms, and Jonah gives him a chance to work for him, like a second chance. But he still wants to be involved in the, uh, like I guess, the crime scene in or the mob scene in New York. So he adopts his persona of Patch, which you think maybe he would like just put a patch over his eye, but no, he has a mask of another man's face with a patch. It's like Mission Impossible Two level of goofiness. <laughs> Uh, I mean, like, are these guys not seeing that there's a man with, like, a fake face, like, in their midst? It's that good. It's that good. It's a really good mask. Uh, Um, Yeah. And and it looks like there's another interesting letter in this issue. Yeah. I thought this was funny given our, like, how much we're not really enjoying uh, the Amazing Spider-Man proper series now this is yeah. a letter that was printed in um in amazing spider-man 52 it says uh what has happened to the real spider-man who is this imposter who claims to be peter Par- parker the alter ego of the well-known web slinger the spider-man that i remember seems to have disappeared from the face of the earth and has been replaced by a completely different character who acts more like an agent of brand Eck. Then a honest-to-goodness Marvel hero. In the space of almost one year, the team of Stan Lee and John Romita has changed both the appearance and the personality of Peter Parker to the point where he practically is beyond recognition. Um, and uh, I thought that was interesting because I think this is true, actually. A true complaint. Um, that, And we talked a little bit about this earlier, is that his personality, like the minute that Romita joined the team... Went from kind of the dark and like sullen Peter to like the happy everybody likes him Peter 
um, of the John Romita uh, run. Yeah, and no, it's definitely legitimate. I mean, I I wouldn't complain because I like this version better. Um, but you know, and I mean, I think it's what's more important is Stan's response to him, though, right? Yeah, I mean, when Stan responds, he asks for more feedback. Uh, like, you know, do you guys like this change? Do you not like this change? And it really kind of puts up a mirror to the books that we're getting now where the editor just says, well, stop reading it if you don't like it. And it's like, you know what? I like the Stan Lee that was like at least seemed like he was receiving feedback and criticism and he tried to sell you a book. Yeah, right. I, and I guess that seems kind of weird for me, a consumer, to be like, please sell to me, Marvel. But, you know, right. that's although, the appeal to this. Although to be devil's advocate, Dan, if I may, I mean, you know. Sure. Like these letters were probably the only source of feedback for Marvel that they got. You know, like if this, if, could you imagine what would happen if you know this Dicko Ramita switchover happened in the age of like Twitter and blogs and podcasts and everything like that? You know, like you know, Stan would be getting like inundated with negativity and criticism from people like, "Where's my Peter, you know what? What happened to my Peter Parker? Um, that, that, that maybe the response would be less welcoming. You don't know that. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, like you're right. No, it is. That is a very good point. Yeah, context is important. Um, you know, like you know, we talked about in our last episode that you know maybe maybe we beat up Nick Lowe too much, and 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 maybe that's true. And I'm sure someone like Nick is aware of that. Maybe not of us specifically, but of others. And, and you know, like yeah. A list of responses. I still think it's a poorly conceived response from a PR perspective to tell people elsewhere, um, because you know there's going to come a point where there's going to come time to pay the fiber, and you, know, you can't because then you have nobody, you know. Yeah. And, and um, I, you know, I, I think I think fan relations between you know, with comic creators and comic editors is is infinitely more difficult today than it was. So. Yeah, I, I don't think it has to be, though. No, but it doesn't have to be, but there are, just, there are tools that have made it. Yeah, I agree. And I, think, and, and, I, and I think that, you know, people are still figuring out how to navigate those tools. Yeah. Um, and whereas some people figured it out, someone like Dan Slot has not figured out how to navigate those tools. Mark, I think unquestionably we both agree that this is an essential comic. Yeah, it's just up to the readers to vote, I guess, but you, we'll get to that soon. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I hope you guys enjoyed this, and um, now let's talk about your comments and emails. everybody comments and emails time so of course uh if you want to leave us a comment on itunes or stitcher you can start by searching for amazing spider talk or just spider-man uh and while you're there leave a rating leave a comment subscribe do all these things because because we we want you to do that build an audience right am i wrong dan absolutely and um (laughs) of course you can also tweet at us and mark it as okay to print and we'll know that you're one uh you're marking it to be on the show um and again as another reminder don't forget that i am giving away a copy of amazing spider-man number 72 
if you leave us a comment on iTunes. So that competition will be ending uh, in about a week or two. So you'll have a little bit of time left to get your comments in if you want to be entered into the competition. Um, So let's get to our comments, Mark. Uh, This is from Rybot616. Probably, like you know, the best Spider-Man podcast out there, you know? Are they making fun of me? That's, they're definitely I know I making say... fun of me, Mark. Okay. I think they're maybe, maybe making fun of both of us because we both say you know and like a lot. Well, you know what? You know? <laughs> <laughs> Fortunately, Rybot gives us five stars. Otherwise, I, I would, uh, you know, just stop reading here. No, thank uh, you, Rybot. I mean, but I'll tell you what. I, I don't know about you, Mark, but I have an incredibly neurotic about – my uh, likes and you knows because I know I do it and it bothers me a lot. Um, I know I do it and it annoys me, which is why I don't always listen to the show on the back. Hence, I didn't catch the 10 minutes of fumbling in our last episode. <laughs> um, but I don't get neurotic about it. I just ignore it. I'm passive aggressive about my, my foibles. <laughs> um, but anyway, Rybot writes, if you are searching for a good quality Spider-Man podcast, then quit reading this review and download this one already. Mark and Dan are very knowledgeable and have an obvious love for the character. The show is very well produced with pictures and web links added in throughout the show for a more enjoyable listening experience. It's also structured very well. It isn't just two dudes who press record and decide to talk about Spider-Man comics. I look forward to each new episode, and I'm excited the podcast will come out weekly now. Keep up the good work, Mark and Dan. Uncle Ben approved. Yeah, I, I hope you guys are enjoying that we've gone weekly. Uh, you know, once we kind of get this under more regular schedule, it should be like, you know, more regular on what day you can expect it. But yeah, thank you, Rybot, for that review. This next one comes from Seth, friend of the show. I actually went on Seth's Retro and Modern podcast a couple weeks back to do an interview about our uh, our show here. So you can check that out on his podcasting feed for Retro and Modern. Um, But he uh, wrote us a review, the best of the best, five out of five stars. One of the most well-crafted and entertaining podcasts I listen to. By far the best Spider-Man podcast out there. These guys really know what they're talking about and give you a very fair and balanced review of the latest issues of Spider-Man and fill you in on the latest Spider-News. Well, thank you, Seth. Thanks, Seth. Um, Our next one comes from – you know what? I'm not even going to try to pronounce this because it's just like someone fell asleep on the keyboard. Uh, Mark, do you want to give this a shot? It says loving it. Uh, four stars. Ooh. Yeah, but that name. Can you can you can you go with that oh, name? Oh, it's <laughs> you nailed it. You nailed it. <laughs> do you want me to continue reading yeah, now? Sure. Or love the show a little long sometimes, but still good. Well, hopefully the the weekly format will maybe shorten our podcast. Although this one's already running long. <laughs> <laughs> no promises, people. Yes. Uh, our uh, our next one comes from John Q. Billiard. Uh, I wonder if he and his family are of, of the the billiards uh, 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 fortune. We invented the game. <laughs> they invented the game. Yes. Uh, amazing, spectacular, superior podcast. Five out of five. And for another adjective, he says, "Excellent podcast." I look forward to listening every week, and I'm looking forward to your reviews on the classics. Keep up the good work. Well, tune in next week, and you'll get some of that. So thank you, John. Woo! That was a lot of reviews. Yeah, well, you know, that's what happens when you bribe people with comics, Dan. Yeah, I guess I guess that's true. All right, those are some good comments, Dan. Well, now let's deal with some emails. Of course, you can email us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com. So our first email is from John Gibson. Uh, John writes in uh, talking about uh, the conversation you and I, Dan, had 
few weeks back regarding having a non-white Peter Parker uh, in the movies. You know, basically, Dan, our argument was that um, there's nothing about Peter's character that makes him intrinsically white, especially when compared to someone like Luke Cage or uh, or Black Panther or characters who, you know, for story reasons need to kind of maintain their their racial identity uh, from the original comics. So John uh, turns the thing around on us and asks us about characters who are intrinsically white and who should maintain that racial identity uh, in a movie. Dan, do you have any ideas on that? Well, I think there's a couple that jump out that, um, uh, you know, and I think, Mark, you and I both agree on this one. We talked about it before, is that Captain America and maybe not even not even the Captain America, but Steve Rogers, the character is an intrinsically white character and and would need to be portrayed that way in the movies for a number of reasons. Um, And, you know, I I could I can hear some people speaking up now that there there was that one story where um, there was the uh, the super soldier that was tested on before Steve Rogers. That was a black man um, that it didn't work out. Have you read the story, Mark? I don't know if I've read this one specifically. I mean, they've done this on a couple of storylines where they've had like other super soldiers. Um, I don't remember this one, though. But, yeah, the argument being that like. Steve Rogers is a is a man displaced, you know, in time in time. And, you know, in the 30s, you know, when when the character was created or when when the character was portrayed, like he was America's projection of itself um, to the world. Right. America's representative. And along with that comes all the steeped like, you know, um, almost like race identification of the country, racism included. Um, that would merit uh, uh, it being a white character exclusively. Yeah. So um, I, think, I think that makes sense. Like Steve Rogers has to be a white guy. I agree. Here, here's a here's maybe a little more offbeat uh, choice. Matt Murdock, Daredevil. All right. I I, I could uh, I could see that. You want to explain why? Yeah. I mean, because I mean, a, a core part of Matt's identity. Is his, you know, he's this Irish Catholic kid. You know, it's kind of like, you know, like his mother becomes a nun. Um, you know, his father is like this kind of, you know, this this prize fighter. Um, now, obviously, you can have black nuns and black prize fighters, but I mean, I, I think I think the unavoidable thing is like this this Irish Catholic immigrant idea. Um, you know, yes, you can have black Irish, but. Not, not really. <laughs> I mean, you can, but it's it's more I mean, in indicative. In the era of, that it was created, I mean, I guess that's a bad argument because you know, but yeah, I mean, pre- Irish Catholics are almost predominantly white. Yeah, um, and and that's a part of his personality. It's 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 you know it 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 does define the character. Um, so I would say Matt Murdock, Daredevil. All right, cool. I, I'm sure there are more, but right now those are the two I think that we've settled on. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, again, just saying, I don't think that Peter's race is a determining factor in the creation or like character itself. Uh, and I guess for these two guys, it, it is. Yeah. As well as like Luke Cage. Um, <laughs> Give me my money, honey. 
Um, so our next uh, email comes – or it's actually not an email. It's from Twitter from Scott McElroy. He uh, asks us – he says, I was a longtime collector of Spider-Man memorabilia. I'm always curious about what other Spider-Fans have in their collections. What are your most uh, prized Spidey memorabilia if we have one? Mark, do you have any Spidey memorabilia? You know, Dan, I mean outside of comics – not really. Um, I mean, I have my, my Secret War action figures, which include my black Spider-Man figure, which is kind of more of a childhood novelty that I, I cherish. Um, you know, I have some action figures, but not a lot of memorabilia. You? Yeah, I don't really have much either. I mean, I've gotten some kind of like free posters and things and from the store, but most of my stuff outside of comics is just like commissioned artwork or artwork I've acquired through the process of doing this show or, um, you know, things like that. But, um, you know, I, I don't really like, <laughs> I know people have like shrines and stuff towards characters or they put, they have like shelf porn. Um, but yeah, it's not really something that I, that I do much of. I, I, I don't know. I, I, as a kid, I had a lot of toys, but not really anymore. And I, I think my girlfriend would probably murder me if I, covered the house in spider-man dolls um but you know some people love that stuff and more power to them uh, it's just not something i've ever really i've invested a lot of money into the comics and i know you have too and that's enough for me yeah definitely but an interesting All question right. yeah we'd love if you guys have any collections and stuff feel free to send us pictures we'd love to you know include them in the show um because i think it's pretty cool it's just not something that i ever do all right. Well, why don't we get into our brand new feature, Dan? Absolutely. Flash Thompson's Flash Reviews. Listen up, you jerks. This is Flash Thompson here, president of the Spider-Man fan club. Unless you're a loser like Puny Parker here, you know that Amazing Spider Talk is the best Spider-Man podcast on the internet. But they never went about reviewing all of the B-books. So that's why your old pal Flash is going to take care of business. And don't worry about us droning on and on like Parker looking at a microscope. We're going to limit each of these reviews to 60 seconds. Wow, Flash. I didn't know you were from Brooklyn. Yeah, well, you know, Brooklyn, Queens, it's it's kind of similar, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, yeah, so we, we just we just had Flash Thompson on the show. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. That is cool. Uh, <laughs> and, 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 and as far as I'm concerned, he did not have a drink before coming on. <laughs> it sounded like he might have been a little sloshed. well yeah so like as flash said uh we're going to be talking about all the b books that you guys requested us talk about but we're going to give each of the our reviews 60 seconds to get through them so uh mark we're going to get our timers ready oh boy we're official and i'm going to stop you if you if you go over 60 seconds oh that's the point 
I will stop you because I know, like, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to cover all of the newest uh, issues of all of the B titles that we follow and go over them. So, Mark, our first one is Spider-Woman number five. So I'm going to set the clock at a minute and, uh, and go, Mark. All right. Well, Spider-Woman 5 is a great reboot of the character, uh, as we talked about with Dennis Hopeless on our show very recently. Um, where was this vibe when this series was first launched, instead of having this, this groaning Spider-Verse thing for four issues? Um, the street-level approach lets Hopeless's script shine. Also, you know me, I love me some Ben Urich. Javier Rodriguez's soft tones and coloring are, are the perfect additions for this book. It's like a neo-noir daredevil with infinitely more humor. Love this book. It is fan club certified. All right, Mark, coming in at 30 seconds there. Well, you know, I you don't have to take a minute, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you can go in three, two, one. All right, to know how we feel about this, just listen to our previous show, and you'll know that we think this is a great issue. If you haven't read Spider-Woman yet uh, or dropped the book during Spider-Verse, I urge you to jump on here. I mean, it's a great jumping on point in the in, you know, first place, but this has quickly become one of my favorite books I'm reading, and it's not necessarily because of the hook, though I do love the Ben Urich storyline. But I really like this book because of the writing and the art are so full of character that I want to return to this week after week. It reminds me of Jerry Conway or Roger Stern's approach to writing Spider-Man, which is a high praise. And I can't wait to see if the plotting of the story can live up to the voices given to these characters. I'm calling this one Fan Club Certified. 46.3 seconds, Dan. Boom. All right. Let's move on to Silk number two. Okay. Silk two. Um, Dan, for me, the flaws of this series are starting to come through. I mean, after a really promising beginning, uh, Silk is still infinitely more interesting than she was when, you know, when Dan Slott was writing. Uh, but I think because of her poor introduction, I'm just having a hard time buying into the stakes of this series. I mean, this is basically a missing parents book. Uh, it's not enough for me. We've seen the storyline on other comics and TV. It's an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. for like the first season. Um, also, uh, Robbie Thompson's voice for Silk is just a little bit too twee for me, a little too trying to get that catchphrase over, not feeling it. Basically, this is like the current Batgirl that DC's putting out, but without the character with history and established gravitas like Barbara Gordon. This is puny Parker for me. All right, great, Mark. Um... Give me the countdown here. All right. Three, two, one. Well, I agree with you, Mark. Um, a lot of the struggle here is in providing a proper origin for this character while still moving her forward. And it's kind of caught in between these two worlds. That said, I've enjoyed the characterization and art a great deal. Cindy's a fun character with artwork equally as breezy as she is. That said, this comic features an inconsequential villain that pops up out of nowhere and seems to have no real connection to the rest of the story, and the character-based drama was a bit too coincidental for my liking. That said, I still recommend the series for those who want some lightweight spider fun. This just isn't as strong of an issue as the first one. Um, but I was still positive enough that I'm going to give it a fan club certified so that you and I kind of balance each other out because I don't think it's a bad book. It's just a mixed book. All right, Dan. Let's move on to Spider-Man 2099 number 10. You want to lead me in? All right. Three, two, one. All right. Um, you know, 
uh, a couple of weeks ago, I wrote a review about Spider-Man 29 number nine, and Peter David actually commented on my blog uh, and said that, you know, my criticism about uh, plot threads from the first four issues pre-Spider-Verse being abandoned was a bit premature. So I'm starting to see in this issue how he might be going about carrying this all together. Um, still, I, 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 I'm hoping this book does return post-Secret Wars. It's, it's going to go on the shelf at least until then. Uh, I felt that Maestro was a very strong villain, very cunning, very diabolical. Uh, it seems 12 steps ahead of Miguel at all times. Uh, Miguel's in over his head, and, but he doesn't realize it, which for me is the best kind of drama you get in a superhero comic. So this is fan club certified. Awesome. Give me the countdown there, Mark. You got it. Three, two, one. All right. So Spider-Man 2099, number 10. Uh, you know, this story has definitely gone in a direction that I never thought it would. I don't think anybody saw this coming. Um, I'm enjoying the series, even if it hasn't managed to get me to care about Miguel as much as a protagonist as, like, even Silk or Spider-Woman have. Um, still, the ideas in this book are just crazy, and Maestro is an interesting villain. Um, I'm not in love with Will Sliney's artwork. It's a bit stiff to me, but I love how willing Peter David is to just get bonkers in this series and yet still keep things refined. There, there are rules here, and he sticks to them. I hope this story plays out in the pages of uh, Spider-Man 2099, um, and I'm worried that it won't. We've got all these great threads that we introduced that I'm just worried won't conclude uh, in the time that we get take to get to Secret Wars, but I'm hopeful. I'm giving this one a fan club certified. That was the closest you've come to a minute, Dan. Well, there you go. A lot to say about that issue. Ne- next up is uh, Ultimate Spider-Man, Miles Morales, or the other way around, number 11. All right, Dan, count me in. Three, two, one. So this was definitely very harrowing, and the Hydra reveal and with uh, with Katie Bishop's parents, I guess, was well done. But the problem is I don't really care about Miles and Katie as a couple. You know, this is a, a coupling that was kind of introduced more or less off-panel. Um, and so, so the ultimate betrayal of this book doesn't have the impact that I think it was designed to. Um, also, I, I feel like the story is like like a car skidding out of control into the finale. It's too high speed, which is actually really counterintuitive with how Bendis has a much more you know he calls it decompressed style. Um, you know, maybe if his opening arc with the with the return of Peter Parker wasn't seemingly nine hundred issues long, uh, he could have had a finale uh, that would be better paced. Because it does seem like this book is going to be ending. Uh, next month, uh, very premature. Uh, I don't know where this book lost its way, but unfortunately, it is puny Parker for me. It's a bummer to hear, Mark. I'm sorry. Give me the countdown to see how I. Oh feel yeah, about sorry, it. sorry, sorry, sorry. Three, two, one. Uh, it's a bummer that so much of this arc is built around Katie and her family, as I just don't care about them like you, Mark. The drama here is incredibly solid. It, you know, like in a different time and a different with a di- given a different build up I think I would have loved this but I worry that this is going to be yet another interesting story prematurely ended by editorial mandate and forced to be concluded in one issue if I had to review this issue number 11 in a vacuum I'd probably say it's a good story but as a penultimate issue to the series it gives me pause about the end of my favorite series of all time I hate to say this because I think Bendis' Ultimate Spider-Man has been great over its run. I mean, 200-plus issues of really good Spider-Man stories. But the Miles stuff has been forced and overly sped up or overly elongated. I have to give this one as well a puny Parker. 
Getting close to that minute. I All know. Right. I'm, I'm flirting with disaster here. Next up is Spider-Gwen, Dan. Count me in. All right. Three, two, one, drop. All right. Spider-Gwen number three. You know, I heard a lot of complaints about the first two issues of the series. I felt that the pacing was off, that the characterization was weird. You know, where was the magic from the, uh, from the Edge of Spider-Verse issue? Well, whatever. To the critics out there, I say this is the comic where these things start to pull together. I think the, the, the slowish pacing of the first two issues pays off. Um, I think actually my favorite character in this book is Captain Stacy. I mean, as good as Gwen is, I, I think that having him as part of this book, an authoritative parental figure in a Spider-Man book uh, with his kind of gravitas adds a really interesting dynamic. And then there are the analogs. I mean, Frank Castle Punisher, his appearance here was just totally great. Um, I would love to get more uh, Matt Murdock as the kingpin in the future. Maybe a little less on guys like Vulture. I, I wasn't totally blown away by that villain. But overall, this is a series that's totally going in the right direction, doing some interesting things. So it is fan club certified. Oh, Mark, you're flirting with it too. All right. I all right. All right. We, we three. Playing with this line. Okay. You three, two, one. I thought that the introduction of this this issue was totally jarring. Like the last issue, you know, ended with a conversation about to be ha- uh, happening between Gwen and her father, and suddenly we're in a different location. But you know, that kind of rocky start. Um, I still think this book delivered in almost every way that I wanted. I still hope we get a more fleshed out conversation between Gwen and her father in the future. Um, but the moment that this book made the world right for me was Frank, uh, his appearance as the Punisher, wearing the T-shirt with the skull logo to take down Spider-Woman. I mean, awesome, awesome moment. I like that this world feels unpredictable in a way that alternate universes should. And I honestly have no idea what the characters are going to be able to do next, given the crazy circumstances that they're in that feel like insurmountable, like their identities are revealed already. Who knows what's going to happen? Fan club certified. Fifty-eight point nine seconds, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that concludes our first round of flash reviews. I yeah, think let was, us know uh, if you like us doing these quick little reviews. I think that was fun. I think we should practice that for Amazing Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the issues in Amazing Spider-Man would almost warrant that that yeah. level of criticism there you go um so dan why don't we take us home all right all right you can find all of our new amazing spider talk and old superior spider talk podcast at superior spider talk.com or find us on itunes and stitcher by searching for amazing spider talk and of course if you do please make sure to leave us a rating and a comment to let us know how we're doing and we'll definitely read it on the air The same goes for any opinions you have on the comics that we've talked about today. We'd love to know what you think about the essential books that we're talking about or any questions you might have about them or any secret tidbits you might know that maybe we didn't cover. You can email them to us at AmazingSpiderTalk at gmail.com and we'll definitely bring them up and read them on the air. Yeah, and uh, also be sure to check out our Facebook page at – Facebook.com slash Superior Spider Talk and Facebook.com slash Chasing Amazing. These are great places to keep up with us in between shows. Uh, ask us questions or whatever. Maybe we can answer in a minute or less, Dan. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and you could also get other breaking news about the Spider-Man universe. I don't know if we could answer anything in a minute or less. That's, we're going to have to work on that. 
this is great. I love it. This is it's all about discipline, Dan. Yeah. Uh, also, don't forget to check out our friendly neighborhood Spider Talk Members Club that helps support our show. Also, very special thanks to the wonderful musicians who, who have contributed to our show, including our theme song, courtesy of Ryland Bojack, and our outro song, courtesy from Magic. Uh, stay tuned for a future announcement as to what essential book we'll be reading next. Dan, Twitter, Facebook, where can we find you? Of course, you can fi- follow me on Twitter at, at Dan Gavazin or my Spider-Man account at Sup Spider Talk, and you can read all of my Spider-Man writing on SuperiorSpiderTalk.com. Mark, how about yourself? Yes, www.ChasingAmazingBlog.com, ComicBook.com for a list of goals, and follow me on Twitter at ChasingASMBlog. So, Mark, I, I I heard the other night you were walking around uh, your neighborhood in uh, in Brooklyn, and you saw some kind of like kerfuffle going on. Uh, uh, d- you know what happened? Uh, you know, yeah. it seemed like you wanted to tell me something. Yeah, you know, I was I was walking through Atlantic Terminal, and you know, you know how I love Buffalo Wild Wings, Dan. I mean, love I it. didn't know that. No, I don't. But uh, <laughs> I don't either. But, but you know, uh, but right outside of Buffalo Wild Wings, this 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 poor elderly security guard was just you know a bunch of thugs and and riffraff was just you know really tearing at him. That's and, terrible. You know, yeah, you know it's sad, but um, you know I I I went to I was going to walk away from it because you know I I, I had a date that night with with. Uh, some girl. Does your wife um, know about this? <laughs> um, you're, you're ruining the illusion of the story here, Dad. Um, <laughs> and um, but then is I that stopped. what you tell your wife? <laughs> it's all part of the story. Um, and then I, I looked at this man, and it, he reminded me of someone. He reminded me of my uncle Ben, <gasps> the one that died. No, no, no. That's 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 not my uncle Ben. That's my cousin Ben. Oh. Uh, <laughs> but but so you know, and then I was like, oh wait, no, that's not Uncle Ben. But but I I, I called the police, and you know, the, the security guy's fine. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but but all's you know, well that ends well. But it did remind me that with great podcasts, there must also come amazing spider talk. Mm-hmm.